would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. The views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed as I broadcast from behind these enemy lines that I call USA Inc. Uh, today is Tuesday. It's a Tuesday evening, just a one minute after 6 o'clock p.m. for those on the East Coast. It is August the 28th, 2018. We are almost through another year. I tell you, when you have grandchildren, it just seems like the years go by that much faster as you watch them grow up. And they seem to grow up so fast as the old saying goes. So, yeah, we're almost through another year. Just, a, a, what, a few more months and uh, we will be hitting 2019. And I tell you, something's got to change. Something has got to change. And what I would like to see change is for uh, people to stop practicing slavery, governments, people in governments to uh, end the slavery that's being practiced. In case you don't know, today is day number eight of the prison strike. A prison strike to end slavery and to fight for human rights uh, that all human beings enjoy. Uh, it should not be just because you're in a prison plantation that you lose your human rights. Human rights should always be respected. And so 
Um, in addition to some of the prison strike news, again, this is a national strike that kicked off on September the 21st, and we'll run through, excuse me, August the 21st, and we'll run through September the 9th. So I got to thinking today as I was uh, brainstorming with some other activists, some other abolitionists, and basically everything that the prisoners are asking for, I would say at least 75% of it. I, I don't have the uh, 10 point list of the demands that are listed in uh, what the prisoners are asking for as they conduct this prison work strike as well as a hunger strike in sit-ins. So, but from what I recall, it just made me go and look up the Universal Declaration of human rights, which is a document that was put forth by the international community in 1948. This was, I guess, in their minds, that's right after um, World War II. Uh, we know all of the documented atrocities of Germany, um, the Nazi party towards communists, people who had a different political belief, uh, towards gypsies, towards Jews, people shoved into a racial classification, as well as uh, the infirmed. What I mean is people with disabilities and what have you. I mean, people do not know how the American eugenics movement played a big role in formulating the race po policies of the Nazi party. So after Germany was defeated at the World War II, uh, the United Nations, uh, several nations, bunch of nations. Uh, it was just a few of them that didn't sign on to it at that time. I don't know if they have signed on to it uh, at, at this point, but they signed up. They came up with a universal declaration of human rights. And I thought that, you know, we might go through that today. It's been a while since race treaty has been on air uh, race Treaty was a program that came on every Friday night here on Black Talk Radio Network, but the host, who's a very busy human rights activist himself, um, you know, they went on hiatus, an extended vacation, if you will, although I did hear from him about a week ago saying, you know, he will be bringing the program back on air, but this is right up their alley, the things that they would cover. Um, while People can deny it all they want to. We are in the jurisdiction of USA, Inc. Therefore, that Constitution does apply to us. The federal laws do apply to us. Uh, we are citizens of the individual states. Their Constitution applies to us. Their um, uh, laws, state laws, apply to us because we're under their jurisdiction and they can enforce their jurisdiction and do enforce their jurisdiction by way of the gun. So let's not play games, word games, or, or what have you. It is what it is. So as such, you know, U.S. citizens have rights. They, they're embodied in the Constitution. At least that's what the government tells us, that these if you're a U.S. citizen, you have these rights that's embodied in the U.S. Constitution. But on the program, New Abolitionist Radio, we document all the time how, especially when it comes to those that have been targeted for slavery, that's usually non-white people and poor people, that when they're targeted, uh, oftentimes they're 
uh, constitutional rights like the right to a speedy trial, um, cruel and unusual punishments being prohibited, although they've been so cruel for so long that their punishments have become the norm and what have you. But all of these things are also in violation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a document which the United States did sign. Now, it's not a legally binding document from what I've read, um, but these are statements of principle that they put out. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about for our main topic today is, in addition to the prison strike news, again, it is day number eight. Uh, It will go until September the 9th, but we want to take a look at this Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I I suspect many people have not read it. Um, I also understand that Dr. King was moving towards this area prior to his assassination. Um, Malcolm X was definitely working in this area of human rights. I mean, it's on paper, but I remember... And I pulled up a clip of Dr. King, and I'm going to play that when we get into the main topic. But Dr. King said, be true to what you wrote on paper. You put down this stuff on paper, and he was talking about the Constitution. But again, the United States government did sign the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and saying that we agree with the principles that are expressed in this document, this international uh, document. So, I mean, when I was reading the Universal Declaration of Human Rights over the past couple of days and how it applies to the present-day citizen, quote-unquote, also slaves, not quote-unquote, they are slaves. That's what the uh, 13th Amendment of the Constitution calls them. But also, we don't want to ignore the non-citizen slaves that are in these private prisons, refugees fleeing war-torn, violent um countries uh, that are that way because of U.S. policy. Uh, A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that. Um, So we'll we'll listen to that. But they have not been true. They have not been true to what they said on that paper. And so we can point that out and bring these things up. We should keep pointing them out and pressing, not just pointing them out, but pressing for uh, implementation of all these rights. So again, today is the eighth day of the historic prison strikes against slavery practiced through the U.S. prisons as stated by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution in addition for asking for prevailing wages for the work that prisoners do. It's almost a million of them that's working. They are also asking for the rights of U.S. citizens, slaves to be restored like voting rights and that the cruel punishment stop, and that the rights of all human beings as expressed again in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that the United States uh, government signed in 1948. All right, so before I get started with some of the news items of the day, there are some interesting things in the news. I'd like to ask our listeners, as I stated yesterday, there is more coverage than I expected. And I am pleasantly pleased that the international press, a lot of the national press has been given uh, uh, coverage to these prison strikes. Lots of coverage, more than I ever expected. If you want to see for yourself, just go to Twitter 
or any social media platform, but I would say Twitter is the main one. And just uh, look up the feed for the hashtag prison strike and you'll see all of the different publications, including mainstream publications that's pointing this out. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, covering the strikes. But as I stated yesterday, you know, um, black media is mainly missing from this narrative. And I just can't explain that other than to say that either that we are not in control. Uh, those are just black faces on in those spaces and they have a mandate to distract us with sports and trivial things related to sports, uh, distract us with uh, entertainment news and what have you. Now, I really don't got a problem with the coverage of different acts of racism and what have you. Um, but I'm starting to feel like some of these outlets are just profiting from these stories and what have you. So, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of uh, on the fence there um, because these stories do need to be told. These I like what, what Sean King is doing, though, and getting his followers on Twitter, all the people that follow him on social media, when we have videos of individual races, uh, finding out their identities and putting them on blast. And, and many of them have lost their jobs. Their businesses have suffered. Um, one woman got got arrested uh, that attacked a black uh, teenager at, at his uh, friend's uh, community pool and what have you. So, so, but you would think again, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it for as long as this prison strike is going on, that if anybody would be covering this, it would be black media. That media that specifically targets black people and there's a number of those publications some of them may be black owned some of them may not and it's just a shame that they are not covering this story as much as they should be if at all even individual black journalists are not covering this story and I don't know whether to chalk it up to apathy because they know if it's been in the mainstream media if it's been on USA Today, if it's been in the BBC, if it's been in the Guardian, if it's been in the Al Jazeera, then you know these people know about it. They know it's been in the New York Times. So even these individual black journalists are not covering it. And that's why the Black Talk Media Project was, was created. Because I also noticed that the National Association of Black Journalists, they wasn't talking about building black media, grassroots black media. You know, these are the people that went to school and got degrees in journalism. And they weren't advocating for, um, you know, starting digital radio stations since we're losing all of these black radio stations due to the 1996 Telecommunication Act. They wasn't saying, hey, black people, let's work together. Let's go ahead and, you know, we're journalists. Let's let's work together. Let's lay out a business plan. Let's start some black newspapers or let's, you know, go help those newspapers that's already out there and what have you. I don't see them say, hey, let's start our own platforms and what have you for the Internet with video and all of that. These are college-educated people. What is What were they primarily begging for? They're begging for more black faces on 
on platforms like CNN, MSNBC, ABC. That's all. That's, that's basically it. Saying we need more black faces in white spaces, white media spaces. That's garbage right there. I'm not saying that we should be barred from employment on any platform, okay? I'm not arguing for segregation or anything like that. But what I'm saying is if you got your own, you in a better position to leverage your talent and what have you. And then you don't be in the position of a beggar. So I, I went on that little rant because it's something that's near and dear to me, you know, but I went on that little rant to ask people to please, please support the efforts of the Black Talk Media Project. We are doing this without going to George Soros, without going to the Ford Foundation, the Arthur T. Viney Foundation, and, you know, these these philanthropic white organizations of rich people who have profited off of slavery. We're not going to them asking for money to build what we need to build. We're going to the people. And that's you. That's hearing my voice. Um, I'm not going to call out no names, but um, yeah, I'll say his first name. Thank you, Larry, for that $100 donation that you made today. It is much appreciated. And I hope other people will follow suit. I know everybody can't give hundred dollars, but that's why we set up btrcommunity.com. We know the wealth gap in this country. We know black people don't have real wealth in this country, and, and it's because of slavery, Jim Crow, and segregation. Okay, racism being practiced by individuals in these institutions. So I I know that we're struggling out there, and I'm gonna share an article that's in the news about how people are being priced out of homes in Charlotte. I mean, it's hard to even rent a home in Charlotte right now, and the prices have gone so far up. And it's not because a lack of apartments. They got a lot of empty apartments. It's just that they're demanding too much money. You know, we're hearing about how the U.S. economy is doing so well and worker productivity is up. But guess what? Wages ain't going up. And these families can't afford. So I, I, to live in Charlotte, they're getting gentrified out of Charlotte, North Carolina, for those that don't know where we're based at. We're not based in Charlotte, but just outside of Charlotte in Gaston County. So I know that we as people are struggling, but we set up btrcommunity.com with a $24 a year subscription that breaks down to $2 a month that breaks down to 50 cent a week. That's less than, than a newspaper. Okay. And even most of these newspapers are going to paywalls and whatnot. Even the ones that's online, they're going to paywalls and whatnot. This stuff costs money. So please, if you can't make a donation, join, join BTR community where you're at least getting something in exchange. It's a, it's a private social media community. You're not hit off with a whole bunch of advertisements from these corporations. Your information's not being sold to any third party marketing firms or anything like that. That's what these quote unquote free platforms do with your emails and your personal information in case you didn't know, in case you didn't know how they offer it for free. Okay. So anyway, please join BTR community 
www.blacktalkmedia.com and help us fund the Black Talk Media Project. All right, let's get the telephone number if you want to chime in on any of these uh, stories that I'm going to bring to you when I'm in the news stories and not on the main topic. Please, if you want to comment on one of these stories, get it in quick, okay? Go ahead and get it in. And the the, uh, number is 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. So I mentioned Charlotte, North Carolina, so... And, and the gentrification that's occurring of people being uh, priced out of Charlotte. So let me find that article. I thought I posted it in my thread. Um, the thread for today's news stories, here it is right here. Um, I posted on my profile thread for uh, BTR News in btrcommunity.com. It is visible to the public. I didn't make it like members only or friends only. So you can click the link if you're listening through blacktalkradionetwork.com and and on the promo page, it'll it'll be a link for um, the news and you'll be able to see these stories if you want to share them. So I got an article here and this this article comes to you from the Charlotte Observer. It's the largest paper in North Carolina. Free land and a $20 million pledge, big new plans for affordable housing in Charlotte. So it, it has this video, and it's even talking about veterans are struggling to maintain affordable housing. Not the, And I am a U.S. veteran, but... I don't think we should get special treatment for spreading white supremacy all around the world and capitalism and imperialism and murdering all these people that have never attacked us and what have you. Um, We kill them because it's in the U.S. interest to kill them. So, you know, when they say U.S. interest, then they're not talking about affordable housing. So our people back home can have affordable housing. But this video I'm attempt to play, let me go ahead and uh, turn off my disable autoplay on this so that I can uh, get this video to play properly. But this particular two-minute video, well, it's three, minute, three minutes, they're even talking about veterans. So you know if they don't care about it, veterans got a place to live, then non-white people, <laughs> man. So let's go ahead. Um, I'm going to wait for this page to fully load. And uh, okay, it started. Okay, so let me get the. Why can't we hear it? I don't hear anything. Not hearing anything. So let me stop it, play it again. Uh, whoever made this video forgot the audio. So something's going on here. Let me make sure it's not my equipment, which I don't think it is. So we're going to stop that. I'll just read to you what it says. Charlotte's efforts to build more affordable housing got a boost Monday with the announcement of large donations from two local companies. Developer Crescent Communities is putting up land for affordable housing at a new mega development in West Charlotte, while Wells Fargo 
and I hate Wells Fargo. And if you got money in Wells Fargo, a bank account with them, you need to close it because they're the second largest investor in private prisons. Um, and they also, you know, fund the prison's day-to-day operations. So while Wells Fargo pledged $20 million to groups that build housing and help homeowners with down payment assistance. Monday's announcement comes as Charlotte is grappling with years of rising rent, soaring home prices, and increasing pressure on low-income residents trying to pay for a place to live. Voters will decide in November, so this is a voter initiative, voters will decide in November whether to approve a $50 million bond issue from the city of Charlotte that would subsidize more affordable housing construction. That's more than triple the city's usual 15 million housing trust fund bond issue. With the announcement of our bond referendum, the city signaled that we were all in in support of increased access to affordable housing, says Charlotte Mayor By Lyles in a statement Monday. But the city still faces daunting challenges. Both average rent and home prices are up about a third in the past five years. Almost all of the 27,000 apartments planned or under construction will be luxury units targeting upscale renters, while some 13,000 older apartments have been purchased by investors in recent years and renovated to reap higher rents. Meanwhile, Mecklenburg County has a shortage of at least 22,000 affordable housing units. The need is heavily concentrated among the lowest income renters, people making 50% or less than the area's medium income, which often includes low-wage jobs such as retail and food service workers. Here are, I don't even care to get into the details, I'm glad that somebody's trying to address it, but it doesn't seem like enough. Um, I heard somebody on another program, I was listening to the podcast, and they're one of those people that say voting don't matter, but um, it's got to be a reason why they suppressing the vote in Georgia where they closed all them polling places, so I'm going to have to do some investigation on that. I'm like, damn, man, our ignorance is very prevalent in this country. So, this only passes if if people in Charlotte, when they go to vote in November, this isn't something all of North Carolina's gonna vote on. It's just gonna be a voter uh bond initiative for affordable housing that's gonna be voted on by those who live in I should say Mecklenburg County. That's where Charlotte is. All right, so if 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 it don't pass, then it won't be no this little bit that they trying to do to address the issue, but we keep hearing this story play out all over the nation. Gentrification, been talking about it on this network for years. That's how long it's, it's been going on, and it's not getting any better. It's not stopping. Um, I do have a solution, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not one of those people. I come up with business ideals all the time, but I'm not going to be able to employ them all. And if it's going to help somebody, not help you become rich, although you can make some money off of it, but to help the people. So I was talking to a person and me and her had the same ideal, not talking to each other. Independently, we came up with this ideal. Now, y'all might have heard of Jay Morrison and 
he has some kind of real estate investment firm, although it don't seem to be on the up and up, according to a, a attorney, Antonio Moore, who took a look at that. And that's like, you know, people talking about buying back back the block and, and all this and that. That, co- that costs a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? And then if you're looking at it to make money as an investment like these other people, oh, we're going to renovate the hood and then we're going to raise the prices just like these white people doing and then people ain't going to be able to afford them. So, no. But me and her was thinking, you know, because we have a mutual friend who is into real estate and they tell you how you can get foreclosed properties and what have you. But I was speaking on empty lots, not how, not not property with houses on them, just undeveloped land. There's undeveloped land out there that you can buy. And I would like to see somebody come up with a cooperative to where, you know, they pooling their money. I mean, yeah, invest your money, but please don't make it so that people can't afford to live in these places. So what's the solution? And we talked about this on Tando the other day too. Uh, getting these these empty lots, you'll see a lot of empty lots in these cities, okay? And you can put little tiny homes on those. Now, of course, that's not going to be for a family, but it's lots of only, you know, two people families or I seen one, let's say, you know, the, if it was a mother and father, it had two upstairs bedrooms in one of these t- tiny uh, homes, two upstairs bedrooms, Parents on one side, maybe two children on the other side. But then, you know, you got a lot of homeless people. They are talking about veterans in that video that we couldn't hear. Lots of homeless veterans and what have you. And you can build these tiny homes. You can build these tiny homes. Some are, you can get them as low, fully furnished, as low as $60,000. Okay. And I think you're, you know, you if you get it financed, it might break down to two hundred dollars a month on that sixty thousand dollar financial loan. So I'm saying there's opportunity there. And I've heard, you know, different cities. I think Seattle was one that was looking into these tiny homes to address the homeless problem. So I, I see that there's opportunity to help people while making some money, you know. But then we got those people. They just they just want to gouge people. Uh, like these people in Charlotte are doing when they're buying up these apartments and then, you know, refurbishing them and then raising the rent to where the current residents can't even afford to live there anymore. So I'm not talking about that. But there there are solutions out there. I just wish I was in a better position to uh, implement these things. But y'all know what I'm I'm working on. I'm working in and on trying to get us some localized black media. So we can even talk about this stuff. All right, so that's one of the articles. Uh, let me see. Here's another one. Um, welfare. Now we love to hear. We love um, not we, but those on the right love to talk about people on welfare. Even though the majority of the people on welfare is them, you know these Trump voters and stuff. They're the ones who are predominantly on welfare in these red states and what and there's no shame if you need help you need help like mr fuller said the system of justice is where everybody who needs help gets help so i'm i'm not picking at them or anything like that but i ain't talking about poor people i'm talking about these farmers now these farmers was already getting subsidies not to even grow food that's 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 been something that's going on for a long time 
to keep the pr the price of food, you know, at an artificial price or whatnot. So we don't want to overproduce and what have you. But check this out. The Agriculture Department will pay $4.7 billion to farmers hit in the trade war. Agriculture Department, it's the same Agriculture Department that discriminated against black farmers. I don't know if the black farmers ever got their, got their money. I'm not sure. Um, I think Time for Awakening Radio, which is part of the Black Talk Radio Network, might have did a show in the past couple of months with some of them black farmers. But I remember they, they never got their money. And it's not like it was a lot of money set aside for them either for decades of discrimination, where whereas where they was giving uh, white people free land, then giving them college uh, college education and agriculture, and then giving them low interest rate or no interest rate loans to mechanize them for their farms. Dr. King talked about this when he was talking about we coming to Washington, D.C. to get our reparations checked. So... Here it is, again, some white privilege going on. I wonder if black farmers will be able to get this because, again, the history is they usually get shut out of these things. The Department of Agriculture will pay $4.7 billion of farmers growing soybeans, cotton, and other products hit by tariffs in the Trump administration's hardline trade war with China, announcing the first batch of payments from a $12 billion government aid package. Starting next Tuesday, the agency will take applications from farmers who produce corn, cotton, dairy, hogs, sorghum, I don't know what that is, soybeans, and wheat products that were targeted in China's retaliatory tariff. See, it wasn't China didn't start this. Trump started it. China just trying to protect itself by retaliating. And giving and hitting them with terror per terror. And this was after the U.S. imposed a 25% levy on $34 billion worth of Chinese imports. Most of the money, more than $3.6 billion, will go to soybean farmers. China has been the number one export market for U.S. soybeans, buying nearly a third of all American grown soybeans in 2017. Now, again, I'm going to do an interview with my cousin who just left China. And then y'all want to know what China doing in um, Africa, what they're doing in South America. They're leasing land to grow food, to grow soybeans and what have you. Okay? And so as you can see here, you know, they've been the number one export market for U.S. farmers, buying nearly a third of all American-grown soybeans. So I, I I would like to see African soybeans replace these American. Although I live in America, but again, this is a wicked system, and I'm not going to go on a tangent about that. So welfare for farmers. Uh, this is going to be those in Idaho. Uh, Steve King comes to mind. Iowa, Steve King, Representative Steve King. Um, I'm not even going to call him a racist suspect. He's straight up racist. And he's one of those that like to cut, um, you know, the uh, SNAP program, which is part of these farm bills and what have you. They consistently keep cutting, you know, food stamp program and what have you for all these poor people. 
That's why they always put a black face on it is is because of the anti-blackness in this country without realizing that, hell, it's more white people uh, getting SNAP benefits than black people. It's more of them. And poverty continues to increase in this country. So, you know, when they talk about people voting against their own interests, that's the number one group right there. All right, so I'm going to leave that there. Um, they going uh, farmers to get, if y'all know any black farmers, that's growing any of this stuff, tell them they need to go ahead and put in their applications. Again, this is for farmers that produce corn, cotton, dairy, hogs, sorghum, I don't know what that is, soybeans, and wheat products. All right, so let me close that out. Let me move to another article. I thought this was funny. Um, nah, it ain't really funny, but she's a funny character. Ann Coulter is, is one of the... <laughs> most dumbest agent provocateurs on the internet, always trying to stir up these racist suspects and what have you. And I can't even believe she let this lie come out her mouth. And I can't believe that there's people that believe it. This is what she said on Thursday, in case y'all missed it on Twitter. On, on Thursday, August the 23rd, this was last week, she tweeted out this. The Dutch Africaners were in South America first. And like I told somebody else when they were talking about, you know, tweeting Candace Owens and acting like she didn't say something that was so in, uh, insightful. Candace Owens said some crap like conservatism means freedom and liberalism means slavery. And I said, you know what? That's a simple slogan for the simple minded. And that person got mad at me because they thought it was just, you know, just so, so noteworthy. That's a slogan. It's an idiotic slogan. But that, but like I said, though, I was giving Candace Owens actually a compliment. I said, Candace knows her audience. A simple slogan for simple minds. And that's what this is from Ann Coulter. These people don't do research. They just, you know... <laughs> They just accepted and they retweeted and all that. The Dutch Africaners were in South Africa first. This comes to you from PolitiFact.com. It was published by John Greenberg on uh, yesterday. Coulter Strange claimed that Dutch settlers preceded blacks in South Africa. Man, it's a shame that you even got to fact check something like that. When President Donald Trump referred to land seizures in large-scale killings of white farmers in South Africa, he set the stage for a classic Twitter storm, and of course he was lying. Kenyan-born photographer Joseph Mah... Mah um, I can't pronounce this name. Mahasha, Muhasha, something like that, Muhatia, tweeted, the land in South Africa belongs to black people. They are the native owner and not white people. Sort of sounding like, you know, what we hearing from these white people here in the United States, these uh, that want to throw all these non-white people out the country and what have you talking about this, our land and all this and that. Uh, anyway, this is what Ann Coulter was replying to when he said that this is what she said when he said that. 
To which conservative pundit Ann Coulter replied, actually, the Dutch Africaners were there first. Ann Coulter ain't, ain't that big of a dummy. She, I don't want to believe that she dumb. We be calling these people dumb and ignorant and stupid, and that don't be the case at all. They know that their followers are dumb, ignorant, and stupid, and they just want to rile them up and, and, and get them, and then sit back and just watch the fireworks. They be putting out misinformation, disinformation, false information, whatever you want to call it, on purpose. Okay? Uh, pause a second, uh, says the PolitiFact article. Coulter claimed Dutch settlers who started showing up around 1650, that's around the same time they started showing up in America, in, in North America, ain't it? Okay? Uh, who started showing up around 1650 were in South Africa before black people. We tweeted her to learn what she had in mind and, of course, didn't hear back. A brief history. The history of South Africa long before the Europeans, and yes, there is a long before, is a fascinating tale of competing kingdoms, shifting alliances, and territorial disputes. We spent some time with two volumes published by UNESCO in 1992. Wars Among the People Labeled Black Today, played out before and after the Europeans arrived. As it turned out, the Dutch dropped down in a fairly peaceful area. The Dutch East India Company established a toehold in Cape Town on the southwestern tip of modern South Africa. I'm going to tell you how they did that. If y'all ever seen the film Shaka Zula, um, even though it's based on a true story, I don't know how much it's fictional, but I do know the only way that they was able to stay and uh, get that toehold in Cape Town was because the Zulu nation allowed them to. They made alliances with Shaka Zulu and, and what have you and gave him some little trinkets and stuff. And, and you know, um, that's how they established a toehold in South Africa was because the Zulus allowed them to. While the Zulus was going around killing a whole bunch of other uh, African tribes and what have you to expand their empire. So, you know, truth, truth is more interesting than uh, fiction. From the start, the Dutch treated the land as theirs. On May 10, 1656, the outpost commander, Jan van Riebeck, described his dealings with a Khoikhoi leader. I know I'm mispronouncing that, but that's a try. He claimed his claim to the ownership of the Cape lands could not be entertained by the company which had taken possession of them for his own purposes. Van Reebok wrote in his diary. Um, they said hat, hat tip to our colleagues at Africa check Cape town's original. Let me bookmark Africa check. I'll, I'll bookmark it later. Uh, Cape town's original purpose was simply to resupply merchants ships headed to the East Indies, but over the decades, settlers turned to farming, which put them in conflict with the original inhabitants. By the end of the 1700s, a series of wars broke out with the Zosa, a larger and more formidable foe than the Koki. Ultimately, under the British, the Zosa were defeated in 1853. See, you can't let them get no toehold, man. Man. Let them get a toehold, next thing you know, they taking over. Apartheid, and it goes on to talk about apartheid racial characters categories. I'm not going to go through this whole article, but I don't have to tell 
the listeners of Black Talk Radio that this woman is a straight up liar, man. And I can't believe people uh, even believe that. And I think South Africa has been described as the cradle of humankind, um, of, of mankind. Again, there was no into Africa migration. It was the, to populate Africa from other parts of the world. No, it was an out of Africa migration to populate other parts of the world. And this occurred over a very long period of time. And and then people start mating with with um uh, what do they call them Neanderthals and. And some other, you know, things like Neanderthals, I can't think of the name right now, and that created, you know, these other uh, humanoids and what have you. So, man, just ignorance, man, ignorance. I hate ignorance. Public demand for concealed carry permits continue to rise according to Ammoland, uh, which is a, a outlet for shooting sports news. Now, I did post the article about the House bill that passed last year allowing concealed carry across state lines. I'll just read briefly from that, but this, that, that's from 2017. But in case you wasn't aware of it, it might I couldn't uh, really find any more information. I could have went to Congress's website and see where this bill is right now in the Senate, um, but I do expect it to get through the Senate I don't know. I don't know. It depends. But um, I, if it was to make it through both houses of Congress, I fully expect Donald Trump to sign it in the law. And I ain't got a problem with it, to be honest with you. Uh, House passes bill allowing concealed carry across state lines. Because I know when I bought my firearms, when I was stationed in Arizona and I got out the military, <laughs> I didn't have a concealed carry permit, but I took my guns home. I brought my guns home across state lines and I ain't asked nobody for permission. For what? So anyway, the House of Representatives passed a controversial, what makes it controversial, measure Wednesday that would allow gun owners with concealed carry permits from one state to carry them in other jurisdictions. The concealed carry um, uh, reciprocity act, yeah, the concealed carry reciprocity act one of the National Rifle Association's top legislative priorities passed in a largely party-line vote, 20, uh, 231 to 198, sending the measure to the Senate. So as far as I know, this measure is still in the Senate, but we haven't heard about it being signed into law by Trump, so that's why I know it's still in the Senate right now. All right, so I don't got a problem with that. I'm not one of these anti-gun uh, people. I am an anti-violence person when it comes to this senseless violence in the streets. And most of the people who who engage in, let's say, gang warfare, they they not using the guns they bought from the gun store with their concealed and carry permits and, and what have you. So if you think it's going to address that type of violence, it's not. It, it really isn't. So, I mean, that's that's just idiotic to even think so. So I don't want to live in a land where only slave catchers and other agents of the states are the only ones with firearms. And if this really a free country and if the Second Amendment is truly, you know, the supreme law of the land, then I I don't see the logic in preventing somebody from carrying 
of their weapon across state state lines. Okay, if they're carrying it across state lines to commit a crime again, they probably not using a weapon they bought in their own name or what have you. And plus, they're planning on committing crimes. But we need self-defense behind these enemy lines. And I would, again, keep pointing out the ancestor, um, Robert F. Williams, and tell you to go watch the documentary Negro with, Gun- with Guns, Negroes with Guns, or read the book how guns won the civil rights movement and what have you. So I know it's a lot of people that um, that um, have been hit with a lot of pro- propaganda to be anti-gun and what have you, especially black people who vote Democrat, but I'm not one of them. A new study, but this is the article though. There's a study that has been done, uh, just came out. Public demand for concealed carry permits continues to rise. A new study out from the Crime Prevention Research Center shows that contrary to the perception often seen in the national media, more and more Americans are embracing their right to self-defense with the number of concealed carry permits in the United States jumping to over 17.25 million this past year. That's an increase of 890,000 permits in just the last year. This new report also comes as students across the country prepare to go back to school and states like Texas are leading the way with armed guards to protect teachers and students while other states still lag behind. Now, I am not like them and saying we need to arm teachers and whatnot, but we got all these school resource officers. What the heck they being paid to do? You know what I'm saying? What are they being paid to do? Okay, now I ain't got a problem with actually um, maybe it'll create some jobs, but having security guards, maybe we do need more security. We don't need police. We need security guards. We don't need these people also interacting with the students. They could just stand up, stand their posts on their posts outside the school or what have you. But again, it's not like this is happening every day. We don't have these mass shootings every day. It's just hyped up by the media with the number of guns in this country. The number of people getting shot with guns is very, very small. It's more people uh, dying in car wrecks, uh, more people dying of drug overdoses than there are people getting shot. All right, so I'm going to leave it there, though, but that was my point to study. I know this was possibly a right-wing website coming from a white-wing perspective, and I'm not down with them on some of their uh, views like arming teachers and whatnot. But I thought it was interesting that this new study is out. I probably should have clicked on it. It's at crimeresearch.org. Let me go ahead and post this in the thread at BTR Community. I also posted in uh, our chat at Black Talk Radio News. I'm sorry, I haven't even been looking at the board. Um, Let me go ahead and post that so it's there. And let me post it in the chat as well for our chat at uberconference.com, Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, New study, 7.25 million concealed handgun permits, biggest increases for women and minorities. See, they they didn't tell us that in that right-wing ammo land article, right? Um, But Crime Prevention Research Center saying, yeah, black people's buying guns. White uh, women are buying guns. They're not waiting on 
The slave catchers to come and slay, say them because the police only come to respond to crime. They don't prevent crime, and they actually commit a lot of crime. So common sense tells me uh, my self-defense is in my own hands, and I shouldn't be relying on somebody else to defend me. So very logical. Good to see that. All right, let me move on. Uh, let me see if there's any other stories. We do have a press release that we'll get into on the other side of the uh, music break that we take at the top of the hour. Uh, let me see, did I miss anything? Got the agriculture, public demand for concealed carry. Uh, the other stuff is pertaining to the prison strike and related issues. Here's one, and I think this has been stated uh, on this network before. At least I've seen it posted to BTR community, but this one just came out today. Uh, rates of three, three specific STDs that sexually transmitted diseases in the U.S. are reaching a record high, CDC says. I, I, I just don't know how to explain that, man. I mean, they had sex education in school when I was in high school in the 80s, in the early 80s. Sex education been around for a very long time. Plenty of public service announcements, especially after the AIDS epidemic. Lots of, of education on preventing STDs. So how are they reaching a record high? What's up with people, man? Do they are, are they getting a kick out of playing Russian roulette with their sexual Russian roulette with their lives? What what's going on? Oh, oh, he or she looks clean. They dress nice, so I'm assuming that they ain't got no disease. And you know, man, without asking for your pay, for the papers, man, I'm serious, man. That's what I think people should do. If you're getting into a a, a relationship, or, and it's gonna be a sexual relationship, it might be wise to go down to the public clinic and get checked out, and then you show each other the papers. And be like, look, I'm AIDS free or I'm HIV free. I don't have syphilis. I don't have gonorrhea and I don't have chlamydia. Those are the three that's on the rise. Syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. Now, I thought they was going to be talking about some unknown stuff that, you know, wasn't really affecting a whole lot of people. But, man, we've been knowing about syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia for a very long time. And it is climbed, the rates of infection for those three STDs have climbed for the fourth consecutive year in the United States. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, announced Tuesday at the National STD Prevention Conference in Washington, D.C. Last year, nearly 2.3 million U.S. cases of these sexually transmitted diseases were diagnosed according to preliminary data. You know what I'm thinking? I just had a thought. This, this, what they call an opioid epidemic. Lots of people trading sex for drugs. Matter of fact, I was just reading about this pharmacist um, who just uh, pled guilty in a case where he was filling fake prescriptions in his for um, Oxycontin and other opioids in, in exchange for sexual uh, favors with the women and he was like in his 60s or what have you um, I think that's that's contributing to it this opioid epidemic 
Um, lots of people out there trading sex for drugs. And I think that that possibly has to do with the rise in it. Okay. Cause when you Jones them for a hit, you know what I'm saying? You, you possibly ain't thinking about no rubbers using no rubbers or whatever. I mean, man, it's just disgusting though that anybody would exploit someone like that. Um, but they do. That's the highest number. Let me see. Last year, nearly 2.3 million U.S. cases of these sexually transmitted diseases were diagnosed, according to preliminary data. That's the highest number ever reported nationwide, breaking the record set in 2016 by more than 200,000 cases, according to the CDC. It is time that President Trump and Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar declared STDs in America, a public health crisis, David Harvey, executive director of the National Coalition of STD Directors, which co-hosted the conference, said Tuesday. The, what goes along with this, what goes along with that is emergency access to public health funding to make a dent in these STD rates and to bring these rates down and to ensure that all Americans get access to the health care that they need, he said. Now, I'm all for increased overall funding of health, um, funding of these public clinics, but it still comes down to personal responsibility, taking personal responsibility for your sexual organs. You know these diseases are out here. Why are you engaging in promiscuous type behavior where you're just having sex with random people, one night stands and, and all of that stuff? Or you're cheating on your wife or your partner or whatnot and and all this risque behavior, that, that's on the individual. Individuals do need to step up and stop blaming the government for some of these issues. That's, you know, that's a, just a matter of, look, they give rubbers away free. Propylaptics for those that, you know, know the technical term. When I was out there in them streets, when I was a young person, I, yeah, I was out there. Man, we used to go to the public clinic once a week and get a bag full of rubbers. Not that I was using the whole bag in a week, you know what I'm saying? But because, you know, always looking to save some money and it's not like, you know, they was giving away, you know, some um, um, defective prophylactics and what have you. But me, me and some of my friends, we would make a point to stop by there every week and pick up a bag of prophylactics for free because they can get expensive for free. They give them away at free. There's no excuse for STDs to be spreading like this. I don't, I can't chalk this up to ignorance. I cannot chalk this up to ignorance. I chalk this up as a failure, a personal responsibility of individuals not protecting themselves. That, that's that's just disgusting, man. That's disgusting. 2.3 million cases. Man. Man, uh, it makes me glad I'm not a millennial out here. Makes me glad I ain't hooked on no drugs out here. Man, a new high. All right. 
I think that's it. We're going to take a station identification break uh, and a music break, and we will come back. The, uh, we'll get into uh, day eight of the national prison strike against slavery and for humane treatment, and we'll also get into the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. All right, you're listening to BTR News on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Scotty Reed, and I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines.
You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. If you have any questions or comments, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice. That will unmute you. Please watch your background noise. I'll do a better job this hour of watching the board. All right, so about to shine my little light on prison slavery. Well, it's really just slavery. I'm like Max. You know, we're coming up with new terms uh, the Constitution says it's involuntary servitude and slavery. Let's go with the Constitution since it's the supreme law of the land. It's just being practiced through the prisons where, you know, I, I've taken the saying that we're looking at slavery under new management. That's what the 13th Amendment did. It took it out of the private landowners' hands, those farmers and what have you that's about to get a big paycheck from the federal government, but uh, yeah, took it out of their hands and put it un- into the hands of the state as well as the federal government. Um, I tell you that Lincoln myth is is still with us about he ended slavery and all that kind of stuff. Just read the 13th Amendment. Alright, so, the first thing I want to start off with is the latest information on the strike that came out today uh, I appreciate the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee uh, tagging me in this um, on Twitter so that I could be aware of it. So this is a strike statement to the press, August the 28th, 2018. It's regarding, of course, the ongoing nationwide prison strike. All right, so this is a growing movement in the nationwide prison strike of 2018 is an unparalleled success for prisoners organizing in the modern era. I, I would have to agree with that. Um, you know, they're not talking about it's been successful in rolling back slavery. They're talking about of prisoners, prison slaves organizing. However, it is important that in recognizing that success that we not lose sight of the demands that the prisoners have laid out. Each of them is crucial as the continued prisoner-on-prisoner violence within prisons over the past week suggests the people who run the U.S. prison system have not yet made the necessary changes to stop the violence they produce behind the walls. Okay? And and yes, um, I believe um, that they start punishing everybody because everybody's not participating in the strike. There are some people, they just don't get it. There are some people in there with mental illness and cognitive disabilities and what have you. So they, they don't understand why I can't get lunch today because of the uh, kitchen workers are on strike against slavery and trying to bring us more humane conditions. And so those prisoners get mad at the strike uh, the uh, prison slaves that's on strike and violence erupts and what have you. All right, so I tell you, these people been practicing slavery so long, man, that I'm sure they got a manual on how to get the slaves at each other and what have you. All right, so they are responsible. The prison administrators are responsible for everything that happens in the prison. 
These are changes which are necessary to ensure that prisoners are safe, that they have or, or that they can have hopes and dreams for the future, that they can build towards redemption rather than being condemned to a slow death inside a concrete box. Right now, we know that thousands of prisoners are risking torturous repression to bring this agenda forward, and we do not take their sacrifice lightly, and neither should you. Prisoners are facing repression right now as we speak, and it is our duty on the outside to do whatever we can to shield them from that violence of the state. We have had incidents where media have had the opportunity to interview in prison, prison strike leadership, and have refused to print their words because the prisoner refused to give out his government name out of an understanding of the very real dangers of reprisals. Now, let me stop right there. There's more to read. The press, the American press has always played a role in COINTELPRO. Now, I'm, again, very appreciative of those outlets that have covered the story, um, like Al Jazeera had one of our comrades uh, that we've been working with for years on the inside, his his uh, pseudonym is Swift Justice. Okay, we don't give out his real name because that's how we saw with the Free Alabama Movement when they were organizing the strikes in the uh, Alabama prisons that they targeted the leadership and throw them in solitary confinement and what have you. So, so I had seen one time watch this video of Mike Wallace. Uh, um, he used to be on 60 Minutes. He's dead now. Uh, you'll see his son. He's on Fox News Sunday or something like that. But he was interviewing Malcolm X. And his line of questioning was more akin to an interrogation. Like he was trying to find out information for the U.S. government so that they would know what moves black people was making. And I don't know if y'all ever saw that inter interview. It's on YouTube, but... It immediately I peeped uh, Mike, what Mike Wallace was doing. You fishing for information so the FBI can have it, so they'll know where to go, who to attack, who to kill, who to murder, and what have you. So I, I'm sure that goes on even today. So if a art, they quote unnamed sources from the government all the time, right? Don't they? When they talking about Donald Trump or they talking about any president, you know, administration, our unnamed sources, they love quoting unnamed sources. So you got to ask yourself, like the prisoners ain't falling for the okie doke saying, well, why, why do you always publish these unnamed sources, but you want my name? Okay. Isn't it enough that you know I'm in here? Isn't it enough that you got my voice or my words to publish. Isn't that enough? So I have no doubt that some of these quote unquote journalists are out there acting as agents of the state to help crush this rebellion against slavery, this peaceful rebellion against slavery. Man, I'm glad they put, they told us that. All right, let me move on. Uh, we have had incidents where media have had the opportunity to in interview in prison, prison strike leadership and have refused to print their words because the prisoner refused to give out his government name 
out of an understanding of the very real dangers of reprisals. Opportunities to interview prisoners who are connected to the organization of this protest from the inside are precious, and we will not squander them again or institutions who don't understand and value what is at risk for prisoners in this moment. Let me tell tell y'all, Iwa, they understand. They understand the risk. They're working as government agents to reiterate and raise up the voices of the prisoners themselves below again are the demands. Now, I'm going to read these demands. Now, when I get to the portion of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, you will find, and let me post this in the chat room. I've already posted it to BTR community. It's in the chat room. If you look at these demands, and when I read to you the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, you will find that these demands line up with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So, let me read these. One, immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of imprisoned men and women. Two, an immediate end to prison slavery. All persons imprisoned in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. Or else it's just slavery. I mean, some people might say, well, if they were slaves, then slaves didn't get paid. Well, that's because you ain't study uh, pre-American Civil War slavery and don't know that some of the slavers would give uh, a portion of profits to some of their very skilled metal workers, um, textile workers, and what have you. That's how some of them were able to purchase their own freedom. Doesn't make the slaver some benevolent, you know, good slaver. There's no such thing as a good slaver, just like there's no good slave catcher. All right. But they're being paid. That's where the term slave wages came from. Not from, you know, people on the outside working uh, for minimum wage, which isn't a living wage. That That's not slave wages. Slave wages are as low as four cents an hour. Three, the Prison Litigation Reform Act must be rescinded, allowing imprisoned humans a proper channel to address grievances and violations of their rights. Four, the Truth and Sentencing Act and the Truth uh, Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No human shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without the possibility of parole. Five, an immediate end to the racial overcharging, over-sentencing, and parole denials of black and brown humans. Black humans shall no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime was white, which is a particular problem in southern states. And I would add even the ones that have killed cops, slave catchers, and that would apply to our political prisoners. They were alleged to have killed these slave catchers who were in COINTELPRO, um, targeting them and assassinating them. Number six, an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. Number seven, no imprisoned humans shall be denied access to rehabilitation programs at their place of detention because of their label as a violent offender. 
Eight, state prisons must be funded specifically to offer more rehabilitation services. Number nine, Pell Grants must be reinstated in all U.S. states and territories. Number 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences. Pre-trial detainees, remember I called my local jail? And no, I still haven't gotten a call back. I got to do a follow-up. I'll do that tomorrow afternoon and demand to talk to the uh, sheriff. Um, I did hear from one of the listeners who followed up on my request to call their own local jail and ask if pre-trial detainees are given absentee ballots to vote in elections, especially with the upcoming election. A pre-trial detainee is someone who's sitting in the jail because they can't afford bail and have not been convicted of anything, okay? And and so uh, they have not been stripped of their citizenship rights, and I and I say no citizen shall be stripped of their rights. I mean, that's part of the rehabilitation process. You would encourage them to engage in, in civics and what have you. And also so-called ex-felons must be counted. That's, again, people who are out of prison, who serve their time, and still are denied uh, the right to vote. And it varies from state to state. And which I feel like with it varying from state to state, that's a violation of the equal protection laws in the 14th Amendment. Okay, Um, representation is demanded. All voices count. So that's number 10. Uh, Let me see. As the first week of the prison strike comes to a close, we are seeing a strike spread across the U.S. as the in-prison organizers predicted. Within prisons, what we What we see and are able to report on the outside is always only the tip of the iceberg. For every documented form of protest that we are able to share with you, we know there are many others that aren't even on our radar yet. Here is a list of the states and prisons that have reported strike activity to jailhouse lawyers speak or the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee as of August 28, 2018. State of Washington. Uh, representatives of over 200 immigration immigrant detainees again that's their international solidarity at Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma Washington declared a hunger strike on day one of the national prison strike amid fears of retaliation 70 across three blocks participated as of this time seven continue to refuse food into the second week Georgia Prisoners in Georgia State Prison, Reesville, have reported a strike according to jailhouse lawyers speak. South Carolina, jailhouse lawyers speak, is reporting that prisoners in the following facilities are on strike. Broad River Correctional Institution, Lee Correctional Institution, McCormick Correctional Institution, Turville Correctional Institution Institute. I mean, get just these names, man. These names. Y'all ain't trying to quote unquote correct nobody's behavior, which would mean rehabilitation. Kershaw Correctional Institution and Lieber Correctional Institution. The actions in these facilities include widespread work strikes with only a few prisoners reporting to their jobs and commissary boycotts. North Carolina. Prisoners at High Correctional Institution in Swanwater, North Carolina, demonstrated in solidarity with the strike. There have been unconfirmed reports of strikes at other institutions across the state. California, 
at New Folsom Prison. A hunger strike started by Herberto Garcia on August the 21st has grown. Ohio, at least two prisoners at Toledo Correctional Institution began a hunger strike on August 21st. David Inns Easley and James Ward, Ward were moved into uh, isolation for participating and authorities have cut off their means of communication to outside contacts. That's that torture. Uh, Indiana, prisoners in the segregation unit at Wabash Valley Correctional Institution initiated a hunger strike on Monday, August the 27th, demanding adequate food and an end to cold temperatures in the unit. New Mexico, on August the 9th, prisoners at Leah County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico, organized a work stoppage against conditions at the prison operated by a private corporation, Geo Group. Tensions at the prison reached a tipping point prior to the date of the strike, and prisoners could not wait before initiating their protests. All facilities in New Mexico, the entire state, were placed on lockdown status on the morning of August the 20th. The statewide lockdown has since been lifted except for Leah County uh, uh, Correctional Facility, Florida. Jailhouse lawyer speak asserts that five Florida facilities are seeing strike activity. Charlotte CI reports 40 refusing work and 100 boycotting commissary. Prisoners at day correctional say 30 to 40 on strike. Franklin correctional report 30 to 60. Holmes correctional report 70. Appalachia correctional report an unknown number. Nova Scotia, Canada at Burnside County Jail and Halifax prisoners went on strike and issued a protest statement in solidarity with the strike and naming local demands. They went through a lockdown and extensive negotiations with authorities. Those who refused to cooperate with humiliating body scans were punished by being locked in a dry cell, no water or working toilets for three days. Texas IWAC was forwarded a message dated 823 from inside administrative segregation, which is solitary confinement, which is tor torture, of Steele's unit, Beaumont, Texas, confirming that two prisoners are on hunger strike in solidarity with the national action. I feel great, but very hungry, and not because I don't have food, but because of our 48 hours of solidarity with our brothers and sisters. It's the only way we can show support from inside of segregation. Let everyone know we got their backs. IWOC has confirmed that Robert Uval is on hunger strike in solidarity at Michael Unit, Anderson County, Texas, in solidarity with the nationwide strike. Robert has been in solitary for most of his 25 years inside. 25 years, man. Solitary confinement. That's torture. Prison authorities have begun responding to the strike in media interviews denying that anything unusual is occurring in their facilities. Inside organizers predicted this would happen and urged continued skepticism and investigation. Organizers with jailhouse lawyer speech struggled to but these claims because of the need to protect themselves from targeted reprisals. Before the strike started, prisoner leaders in Ohio, Florida, and Texas were targeted and isolated. The state's attempts to preempt or deter strike action in some facilities included humiliating and demoralizing rituals. In previous years, prisoners who openly spoke to media suffered greatly for it. For example, 
Melvin Ray, uh, Dati Khalid, and Kinetic Justice of the Free Alabama Movement were transferred, I was just talking about this, were transferred to isolation in 2014 at the publicly announcing the work stoppage. Then in 2016, while still in isolation from that incident, two years later, they continued to openly advocate the September 9th national strike. Kinetic Justice was sent into notoriously dangerous Kilby and Limestone prisons where he believed authorities intended to kill him, but continued to protest and draw attention, protecting himself from further harm. The efforts by authorities to disrupt communication between prison Prisoner organizers and outside support also interfere with NMP communication between prisons by inside organizers. Before the strike started, jailhouse lawyers speak her commitments to the strike and its demands from prisoners in 17 states. Prison authorities may prove successful in concealing or even deterring participation in some of those states, but they cannot refute the righteousness of the 10 prisoner demands. Outside supporters have and will continue to advocate for the demands with vibrant protests across the United States. Hundreds of rallies, protests, informational events, and other actions have been recorded. Phone zaps to support striking prisoners have seen wide participation. The impact of the strike on policy and public dialogue about mass incarceration, again, language, language, about slavery in the United States will be deep and sustained. All right, this is the last paragraph. There have been many questions about whether this prison strike can be successful. To the first question, the success of the prison strike will not be determined in a simple, easily digestible news bite, but by the recognition by enough people with enough power to force society to view prisoners as human beings and view the concerns of incarcerated humans as legitimate human rights concerns. The strike has clearly already achieved greater success than the 2016 strike, as it has reached publications and milestones that were never reached in 2016. Prisoner demands have permeated the mainstream conversation, and they are taking their rightful place at the table in all conversations on how to begin to undo the atrocity that is slavery in America. Organization, I refuse to use mass incarceration, y'all, because mass incarceration is a myth. There is less than 2% of the U.S. population that's in a prison or jail or on probation. Less than 2%. While that's more than every other nation on the face of the planet, it's still not mass incarceration. And earlier today, I was watching Michelle Alexander in a roundtable circle jerk, uh, Talking about, you know, talking about everything but this strike and about this is slavery. Just intellectual circle jerks. I'm sick of those where we get buckets and buckets of philosophical words about uh, the mindset of slavery, but no statements on the fact that slavery was never abolished. Okay? I'm so sick of that. I have banned the word mass incarceration from Black Talk Radio News. I have banned it from New Abolitionist Radio. If you use that term, I will correct you on air. Let's get it straight. Let's call it what the Constitution calls it, what the state constitutions call it, involuntary servitude and slavery. 
organizations are signing on in solidarity faster than organizers can update the endorsement list. And by the time we hit the one week mark, there are over 300 organizations and groups officially in solidarity with the prison strike. The full realization of prisoners demands requires broad changes to the prison system in U.S. society. The prisoners' bold action must be followed up on the outside with policy changes and continuous conversations about living conditions and human rights abuses in the prison. So I wanted to share that press release with my listening audience in its entirety. So that's a strike statement to the press, August the 28th, 2018, that comes to us by way of IWOC. All right, I'm just going to uh, hit some of these news stories briefly. I do have a station identification break coming up, um, but I do want to look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights with the United States signed in 1948. And so let me just hit a couple of, of these stories from that's prison strike related that you should check out. They're posted in BTR community. Slaves of the State, Prison Uprising and the Legacy of Attica that was published by BostonReview.net. Uh, Robert Chase, a historian, uncovered an archive of massacre at Attica only to have the records disappear. Blood in the Water, the Attica up, Prison Uprising of 1971 and its legacy. All right, so let me open this up because it's interesting. Let me see if we got a caller. We got a caller from 478. Uh, thank you for calling in to BTR News. Uh, if you hold on real quick, I'm going to take a short station identification break and we'll come straight to you. I'll hit these news stories and then um, um, go over the Universal Declaration of human rights. So thank you for calling in. Okay. Please be patient uh, with me. Let me just pull up this clip. Okay, here we go. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. All right, we are back. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc. We got a caller from the 478 area code who wants to uh, make a comment or ask a question. Uh, go ahead, please. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, this is great information. Uh, I was thinking because um, this was talked about a little bit on the Time for Awakening show on Sunday, and I listened to that, too. And I was, and then I was looking at, while you were talking, I was looking at, I guess there's a website, you know, that was the companies that exploit prison. Yes. And I was thinking, like, they should have, I don't know who would be in charge of this, whatever, but a program you can call, like, break the chain and kind of go through industry by industry. Just yes. according to this list, I will probably start with fast food because it was the smallest. It was only three people, you know, free the hamburger because McDonald's was on there. Yes. You know, put Wendy behind bars. You know, some graphic artists put Wendy behind bars. You know, free Wendy. <laughs> that's one of you know. that's one of the um, uh, articles where it's not really an article, but in my well, I went to the website. It's the website. The I guess so. Wirerme dot org. 
Yes, companies yeah. that exploit prison labor. It's like a couple of pages, if I remember correctly. Well, I do a lot of companies, but like by industry, fast food only had three. You know, sometimes it's easy just to start small. It's yes. easy with McDonald's, Wendy's, I think Starbucks. Those are all popular chains, especially that McDonald's and Starbucks. They have like, you know, Starbucks is an addiction. You know, are you addicted to prison labor? You know, kind of things like that. So that people will come aware of them. And then some companies that are not doing, like Chick-fil-A, people love Chick-fil-A. Could you go to Chick-fil-A? But, like, could you endorse, you know, the fact that prison slavery is wrong? And we'll publicize that, you know, Chick-fil-A wants to not only free the cow, but free the people. You know, something like that. Right, right, right. I don't know who will be in charge of that. I know there are a lot of things, you know, and I was thinking, like, go to the credit unions for the credit union associations on the list. So maybe you might have to put divest in the credit union. Yes. They support, they exploit prisons or something like that, you know. I don't yes. know who will be in charge of that. Well, I, I, I would say this. Uh, let me interject this. Nobody should be in charge of it, okay? We should take it upon ourselves. Like I have over the years, I put graphics out. Um, I've been sharing one on the prison strike about the uh, six banks, the six major banks that uh, fund and underwrite the GEO Group and Core Civic, the two largest slavers. Uh, uh, private prison slavers in the nation and over the years I put out graphics of Wells Fargo I've even put picture wanted posters out of the CEOs of these and board members of these so um, some graphic artists have been using their talents to help spread the word about the prison strike like I'm using one of those images for the uh, feature uh, image for my post for today's program so I I do understand what you're saying Uh, perhaps some people can this is right up the area of graphic designers and what have you people who have that sort of software go through this list and, and do that Okay. The reason that I said we don't need a head is because, you know, uh, they, they usually when something happens to a person that's in charge, there's nobody to step up and take their place. So we should all be in charge of it, shouldn't well, we? Well, I didn't, well, I didn't mean like a big group, but like, okay. you know, like a head graphic artist, you know, someone who knows how to do that. Right, right. And would just kind of not head the whole group, but okay. Because, and it is, they all power in numbers. So, you know, just, Sometimes right. one person doing things, unless that one person is like a super celebrity, it's like, okay, yeah, that's cute, whatever. But sometimes, you know, you and your friend and this and that. And mm-hmm. I didn't know because I didn't, like you said, like you were saying, I didn't see a whole lot about it. Um, I almost forgot. If I wasn't listening to this channel, I wouldn't know where your station. I probably wouldn't know it exists. I would have forgot it when I thought about it. Um, and then also the thing about the SC, that's totally different. The STDs, um, the number increasing doesn't say what what age groups, but I know from time to time I hear like older people there. Um, those groups are increasing that type of activity because I guess they figure they're old and what do they have to lose? Because I know a few years ago HIV was growing among older people because mm-hmm. they were like, I guess I'm old or whatever. They didn't know the rules of dating, whatever. And I don't know about. Um, I, I thought everyone should know, but I don't know how much they talk about STDs and all that stuff 
because I, well, I don't have any kids, so I don't know what they do in school. But when I was in school, like you said, they talked about that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was on every TV show. There was some friend that had AIDS, especially mm-hmm. in the 90s. This friend had AIDS. Everybody had a friend that had AIDS. So you found out about AIDS. Now, nobody has a friend with AIDS. No one has a friend with any of these, these diseases. And two or three of them, usually you can take a pill and it's over. So people don't, you know, it's a drug culture, not just the opioids and all that, but it, oh, I can just take a pill and it's over. Mm. So I think it's a lot It's a lot of that as well. And again, I don't know how much edu- true education and that I've heard stories about younger people having sex. So I think when I had my formal sex education, I was, I guess I would think I was old for school. I was like, I think it's 10th grade. I mean, you read stuff, whatever. And you, I had heard about AIDS and stuff way before I got to 10th grade. But 10th graders, you know, by then, a lot of people, uh, well, they say, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 have some, I, I have some <laughs> of those details <laughs> you were asking survey. for. I have some of those details you're asking for. It's in that article I shared in BTR community. Uh, if you go to blacktalkradionetwork.com and if you see the post for it today, I did link to it. I made it public for so non-members uh, who listen to the show can access this news. I'm but, a member. I have to do my thing again. I know I'm a member. I forgot how to get okay. into that. I, well, well, it says... I was, like, um, I was like in the beginning, so... Yeah, it, I, just, I don't do Facebook and all that, so I don't do that either. Okay. <laughs> all right. So let me just share this real quick. The preliminary data suggests that more than 1.7 million cases of chlamydia were diagnosed in 2017 with about 45%, which is 771,340 cases emerging among 15 to 24-year-old women and girls. So that's just on chlamydia. Oh, that's oh, and another thing about the guns in the schools and stuff, that sounds like a good idea. And, you, you know, protecting the people. And in high school, you have security officers. But, like, in high school, well, high school and under, they can go home and have their parents defend them if they have great issues and stuff. These college kids, I'm sorry. As an educator, I have not put it on a college campus. These kids get one bad grade, and they go, they can go wild. Mm. I and yeah, there's campus police or whatever, but it's not like they're in every building unless you just want to hire campus security to stand in every building, be by the office to tell the child you going you have failed the exam. Mm. So I mean, in general, I'm not you know against gun people having guns and the right to have guns and all that. I just know in that particular environment at that particular time. Students have a lot. Students have a lot of pressure, and sometimes they can break in without the parent, you know, being an advocate for them. Because that's when it, that's when they learn to be an advocate for themselves. I just it just makes me personally a little wary, but that's just me. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling in and, and sharing our thoughts. And um, I know who this is. This Kia, right? Yes. Right, I hadn't heard your voice in a while. It's good to hear your voice again, and you stay safe behind these enemy lines. You too, thank you. Okay, let me um, let me uh, get to 
what article was I on? Slaves of the, um, this is some information that was related because this strike started on August the 21st. Um, I was not aware that so many things popped off on August the 21st. I was aware of all the rebellions that popped off in August in black history. That's why we call it black August. But uh, the Attica prison strike uh, resulted in, in a massacre of, of, of state police officers, you know, uh, prison guards and whatnot. They massacred those people. Um, but I saw in here where they was killing people execution style. Um, and that's in this article, but for the sake of time, I don't, it's a very long article. I can't find what I was seeing earlier, uh, but it talked about um, um, them uh, executing prisoners on their knees and what have you that, that, you know, oh, it's just horrific, man. I tell you, this, this nation is so wicked. Now, what Kia was just talking about, is another one of the articles that I share. I'm going to spell this S-A-W-A-R-I-M-I dot org. That's S-A-W-A-R-I-M-I dot org. Um, companies that exploit prison labor. And it's five pages long. Okay, so I'm just going to go through what's on page one. Zurich Insurance. And they have a type. They have the name of the company and the industry they're in. Zurich Insurance, an insurance company. YF or W-Y-E-T-H, pharmaceutical company. Whole Foods Grocery. Now, I don't know about Whole Foods. I do remember years ago reporting that Whole Foods stopped using um, um, produce that had been picked by prison slaves. So, I don't know how up-to-date this list is. Um, maybe they know something I don't know. Um, they the ones who investigated, and so I'll just defer to them. Wendy's, which is fast food industry, Wausau Insurance Companies, that's self-explanatory, Walmart Stores, the mega store, Victoria's Secret Apparel, Verizon Communications, that's uh, obviously telecommunications, UST Public Affairs, that's telecommunication, UPS Foundation, that's mail, uh, UPS United Parcel Service that's another one that's transportation United Airlines transportation man my niece just got a job with you know she works for American Airlines that's right US Generating Company Utility Company Turner Construction the Heritage Foundation that's an association let me I know that name I had to look that up the Boeing Company that's uh, uh, the uh, um, aircraft makers, but they're also, I believe, uh, part of the military industrial complex. Texas Educational Foundation, that's an association. Taxpayers Network, other. Uh, Tax Education Support Organization, that's a, or some kind of association. And the Steel Recycling Institute, another association. Um, I mean, it's like... Um, Pharmaceutical companies, manufacturing companies, different uh, associations, telecommunications, fast foods. Wow, it's a lot of companies. Shell Oil Company Foundation. So check that list out. Like she said, though, like she said, the last time I went to go uh, see Max uh, was at the Human Rights, Carolina Human Rights Conference, where I gave a, a, 
a class on on black uh excuse me on digital media and we were riding around looking for somewhere to eat that was not using you know slave labor or connected to slavery in any kind of way and like Kia just said, it's easy to stop eating at McDonald's. You know, you should do that health-wise. Um, but McDonald's, Wendy's, we was like, man, the only place that we can find that wasn't hadn't been put on the list was the Waffle House. So that's where we ended up eating is at the Waffle House. Um, so... There's a lot of different fast food out there. I don't see that Arby's was on the list, um, but I haven't gone through all five of the pages yet. But that's something like simple that we can do. That's something simple we can do. All right. Now, some of the other stuff, it might be kind of hard. Like if that's the only way that you can get Internet access is through AT&T. And, you know, you depend on Internet access for your business or or, you know, just for your personal education. You know, some of us do use the Internet to educate ourselves and not just for entertainment. So I can understand if you have no other options. But what I'm saying is try to find other options. Okay, so that's something simple that that we can do towards ending slavery and starving these companies and what have you. I would even say call them. Like I called and I put out the video of Starbucks when, you know, Starbucks was was in the news about um, uh, sitting while black in a Starbucks or whatnot. And everybody was, that was in the news cycle. I'll hijack a news cycle in a minute and interject what I want in there, which has to do with prison slavery. And I was pointing out to people that Starbucks uses prison slave labor to for uh, their packaging and what have you. And I called Starbucks and I called their, what, I forgot what they call it, customer service or something like that. And of course, I asked to speak to the CEO, which I knew I wasn't going to get. And I was like, well, I would like you to forward this message. And I was like, did you know that the company you work for, ma'am, uh, uses prison slave labor. I put it out in a video and what have you. So, but I call these people from time to time as well, you know, because um, whoever you're going to get on that phone, you never know who you're talking to. And they may not know that they're working for a company um, that also utilizes prison slavery. So if you want to continue to work for an unethical company, then that's something that you're going to have to deal with. All right. Um, Michigan's failed effort to privatize prison kitchens in the future of institutional food. This came out last week. I came across it today. And this kind of ties in to these other companies, what we were just talking about. But um, Michigan's failed effort to privatize prison kitchens in the future of institutional food when private companies took over the state's prison kitchens, inedible and inadequate food was just the tip of the iceberg. Now other institutions outsourcing food service are on the notice. Um, it says, what happens when an institutional kitchen transitions from being run by municipal employees to operating as part of a for-profit company. At the Michigan Department of Corrections Prison Kitchens, a five-year experiment in privatization led to a whole host of problems, including a dramatic decline in food quality and safety, destabilized prisons, and a drop in fair wage jobs. It also may have caused a riot. 
put people's lives in danger, created an odd alliance between inmates and guards against the MDOC administration, and failed to save the state money. It was a human atrocity against the inmates, in my opinion, Ronald Taylor, a now-retired Michigan correction officer, told Civil Eats. The rotten garbage that was being served, plus the way they were allowing it to be prepared, it was an atrocity. In one Michigan prison, an Aramac employee pulled discarded food out of a trash can and served it. In others, company employees fed inmates cakes on which rats had nibbled. Rotten chicken tacos resulted in 250 inmates being sickened and quarantined in a class action lawsuit. Mold began to plague state prison kitchens. Some inmates ate cold food for months when a mold infestation shut down the chow hall. Multiple reports of maggots surface, uh, surfaced. Aramac reduced portion sizes, and some facilities provided nothing more than flaccid bologna sandwiches for dinner. Inmates say the private companies eliminated seasoning using low-grade food and frequently ran out of ingredients. The food was reportedly prepared in filthy, filthy kitchens with broken appliances. Aramac employees also regularly had sexual contact with inmates and smuggled in contraband and drugs. Michigan Governor Rick Snyder, who along with the state's Republican-led government, had turned the kitchens over to institutional food giant Aramac in December 2013, ostensibly to save money, admitted in January 2018 that the arrangement had failed. So it's a pretty long article with lots of links. Please check that one out. Again, this this has to do with human rights, people. All right, that's the last article um, that I'm going to share. And next, I want to get into the Declaration of Human Rights. Because this is something that the United States, along with a majority of countries, signed in 1948. And before I play this, I want to play this clip of Dr. King talking, starting off talking about America not being true to what they put on paper. These are things that they put in the Constitution. These are things that was put into international documents on the Declaration of Human Rights that the United States agreed to. But I shouldn't have to tell you that they're a bunch of liars and hypocrites and what have you. And we have, we have to press them on this and not accept no for an answer. And that's what I think we've been doing. We, we've been accepting, you know, um, substitutes for justice. This is his last speech. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read 
that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. what will happen now we've got some difficult days ahead but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop I don't mind like anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That was a speech he gave on April the 3rd, and he was murdered. And according to a, a civil court decision, uh, the U.S. government has something to do with it. But um, if Dr. King was here today, um, I don't know if he would be shocked to know that the United States of America Incorporated has more prison slaves than any nation on the face of the earth. Okay. So as he talked about, hey, these other people didn't, they ain't even said that they, and that could have been he fell for some American propaganda, but saying that they didn't commit to these things that America likes to put itself up on a perch. And, you know, um, we can see that today that we have not reached the promised land. In fact, uh, things have gotten worse because we have more slaves today on prison plantations that were then were on prison plantations in 1860. Okay. And I'm not just talking about black people. Now it's slavery for all citizens, non-citizens alike. That's why we have read over this week of statements of solidarity from Canada, statements of solidarity from prisoners in, in Palestine just, you know, international support. The U.S. is the belly of the beast. Now, here's another. He was talking about the U.S. Constitution. But the United States in 1948 also signed the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And Section 4, and I'm going to pull up the whole thing, but Section 4 explicitly calls for the prohibition of slavery in all its forms. And like I said yesterday, they already had had in 1948, 
the uh, 13th Amendment exception clause that allowed for slavery as punishment for crime was a document. It was part of the Constitution. Did they go after signing this document, go and amend the 13th Amendment to remove that slavery as punishment for crime, involuntary servitude as punishment for crime, so that they could, in good faith, be in adherence to this document that they signed? No, they did not. If they did, we wouldn't be dealing with slavery today. Not legalized slavery. We wouldn't have the largest slave population on the planet right now. So Article 1 says all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in the spirit of brotherhood. Article 2, everyone is entitled to all the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration without distinction of any kind such as race, color, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth or other status. Furthermore, no distinction shall be made on the basis of the political, jurisdictional, and international status of the country or territory to which a person belongs, whether it be independent, a trust, non-self-governing, or under any other limitation of sovereignty. Remember, um, the 13th Amendment says you know, that the 13th Amendment applies to the United States and its territories under its jurisdiction. That covers them. All right. Article three, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. Article four, no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. So it's possible that because, um, you know, a specific group of people based on their area expertise that work together in a committee to put this together, possibly wrote Article 4 with the United States and the 13th Amendment in mind. And that's why they said in all its forms, because they understand that there was slavery and involuntary servitude in different forms. Okay? We don't have, slavery today isn't the same as uh, pre-American Civil War slavery in the United States. It's a different form of slavery. Whereas before they enslave someone, they have to quote unquote duly convict them, not justly convict them, not rightly convict them, but duly convict them, which means just simply going through the process. All right. So, so maybe they had the 13th amendment in mind when they wrote article four and I'll repeat it. No one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery in the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. But yet we have, uh, slavery and the slave trade with private prison companies being traded on the stock market and what have you. We have human trafficking with Hawaiian prisoners being shipped to Arizona, uh, Georgia prisoners being shipped to Colorado. I mean, it's just crazy. No one shall, Article 5 also applies. No one shall be subjected to torture or the cruel, inhumane, or degraded treatment or punishment. That's exactly what we just read about in that press release today from the prisoners. No one shall be subjected to torture or the cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment or punishment. That's the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. 
Article 6, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Article 7, how many articles are there? Because I don't have time to get through them all. But they are worth reading, and I hope that you will read them in your own time. So I'll go up to 10, since the prisoner's demands went up to 10. Uh, so I was at Article 6, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. That's in the uh, list of demands where they were talking about the grievance process and what have you and repealing certain stuff so that we can get our grievances addressed, which is also in the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution. So that's why I'm saying, if you you know, what's the status of these uh, prisoners that are U.S. citizens? You ain't stripped them. You ain't put them through no formal process to strip them of their U.S. citizenship, but you created through the 13th Amendment this new hybrid of citizen-slave. Article 7, all are equal before the law and all are entitled without any discrimination to equal protection of the law. All are entitled to equal protection against any discrimination and violation of this declaration and against any incitement to such discrimination. You mean like um, 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 we hear a lot from the right wing in this country, these neo-Nazi terrorists, and I'm talking about the politicians, not the racists in the street with their dog whistles, racist dog whistles and whatnot. They're inciting these people to violence, inciting them against protesters and what have you, passing laws to make it not a crime to run over a protester. We've talked about that on New Abolitionist Radio. All right. So that's also equal protection under the law is in the 14th Amendment. And what I was referencing about the states having different laws pertaining to, quote unquote, felons, uh, ex-prison slaves and not allowing them to vote and some allowing them to vote. Some not. That's not equal protection. The federal government is not enforcing the 14th Amendment when it comes to voting rights of ex-felons um, or excuse me, felons. Article 8, everyone has the right to an effective remedy of the competent national tribunals for acts violating the fundamental rights granted him by the Constitution or by law. Again, that grievance is in the prisoner's demands. Article 9, no one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention, or exile. All right, so since they're already in prison, what I would call arbitrary would be Oh, you want to organize against slavery? Let's throw you in isolation, which is torture, according to in the international community. Article 10, everyone is entitled in full equality to a fair and public hearing by an independent and impartial tribunal in the determination of his rights and obligations and of any criminal charge against him. I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there, and um, please check out all the other articles. It goes up to Article 30. All right, we come to the end of this broadcast. I want to thank uh, the, you for tuning in. I want to thank those who's listening later. Please share the podcast. Also, the only way that we are able to continue uh, our broadcasting, not just this station on this platform, but all the stations on the platform is by way of donations made to our nonprofit 
new media organization known um, named Black Talk Media Project. You can make a donation via blacktalkradionetwork.com or you can send a money order or check made out to Black Talk Media Project, P.O. Box 65, Mount Holly, North Carolina, 28120. We got a lot of work to do to get to that promised land we just heard Dr. King talking about. And the work isn't going to do it itself, okay? So if you're not an abolitionist today, you need to become one. We need all the help we can get. With that said, be safe behind these enemy lines. Peace and blessings to all. <laughs>